to True Crime Garage. Wherever you are, whatever you are doing, thanks for listening. I'm your host, Nick, and with me, as always, is a man who hits St. Patrick's Day like a hyper-juicy berserker. Here is the captain. I drink all the green beers, not just one, all of them. It's good to be seen and good to see you. Thanks for listening. Thanks for Tom Afraid. I am, and we are extra excited to be featuring this wonderful beer from our good friends down in Orlando, Florida. That's right. I'm talking about one of my absolute favorite breweries in all of the land. Today is special because we are drinking a beer from Tactical Brewing Company. This is called Order and Chaos, and this one is a special one from Tactical Brewing. This is a Pina Colada Hazy IPA, and of course it's got pineapple because it would be weird if it didn't, and also toasted coconut and a maturation of hops. 6.2% ABV garage grade, four and a half bottle caps out of five. And thanks to our friends for helping us out with this week's beer run. Let's give a couple shout outs here, Captain. First up, we have Katie and Aurora Ontario. And a big we like your jib to Michael Jewell in Parts Unknown, Mexico. A little Parts Unknown springing up down in New Mexico. We also have Sonia in Parts Unknown. She wants to be in charge of litter control, and I say have at it. Uh, but we will not be able to pay you, Sonia. So thank you for your efforts and for your help. Well, there's no littering in Parts Unknown because it's penalized that by death. or Yes, or removing your hands. All yeah. right. Everybody we just mentioned went to truecrimegarage.com and helped us out with this week's beer run. Yeah, B-W-E-W-R-U-N, beer run. For everything true crime, check out truecrimegarage.com. And if you're not following us on social media, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, YouTube, check us out at True Crime Garage. And that's enough of the business. All right, everybody, gather around, grab a chair, grab a beer. Let's talk some true crime. The St. John's Sheriff's Office wrapped up their investigation quickly, determining that Michelle O'Connell's death was a suicide. Michelle's family disagreed. The hasty closure of the investigation and the rushed ruling did not sit well with them, and they demanded further investigation. But this was very, very complicated, because not only was Michelle dating a deputy, In the St. John's County Sheriff's Office, her mother and brother Scott worked for St. John's Sheriff's Office as well. Scott was a deputy like Jeremy and actually introduced Michelle to Jeremy. Right. Patty, Michelle's mother, was a clerk in the office. But despite their affiliation with the Sheriff's Office, Michelle's family realized very quickly that the sheriff's office had closed ranks almost immediately in order to protect one of their own, even at the crime scene. This was very interesting to me here, Captain. This part right here, this does not sit well with me at all. So let's go back to the crime scene. Jeremy's family was allowed in to the home. Michelle's brother, a sheriff's office deputy in that jurisdiction, was held back by his fellow officers. He was not allowed to enter the home. That makes zero sense. Of course, they could have been trying to shield him from seeing his sister dying on the floor. I get that. But for another thing here, her family, Michelle's family, says that she would not have, absolutely would not have killed herself. And I get it. Most families in suicide cases say this, but I believe that there may be some proof here. So let's start off with this idea. One fact in this case is that Michelle had just landed her dream job and was supposed to start this dream job the very next day. She would be working full-time in a daycare center for kids. This was a dream of hers, teaching and working with children. The job offered things that she had been striving for, working towards in her life, These things such as benefits, including health insurance for her and her daughter, and a retirement plan. And the clincher 
she could bring her daughter, Lexi, to work with her every day. Lexi would be allowed to attend the daycare with her mom, the daycare that her mom would be teaching at. We also know that Michelle had plans to meet up with a friend, Mindy Fox, on the night that she died. Furthermore, around 10 p.m., Michelle texted her sister, who was watching her daughter, Lexi, saying, quote, I'll be there soon to pick up her daughter. And Michelle was, in fact, packing to leave Jeremy for good, right? We know that based off of what Jeremy said. We know that off of one of the couples after the concert actually goes back to Jeremy's house with Michelle and Jeremy. They witness some of this. They're only there for a few minutes. But they say that when they left, two things happened. Michelle was packing to leave Jeremy that night. And Jeremy told the other couple everything would be okay. So they decided to leave. But again, look at the motive. Why would you be packing anything up if you were so distraught and thinking of killing yourself? Exactly. That's what I'm getting at here. Why would you tell your sister you're picking up your daughter? Why would you tell your friend that you still intended to hang out with her that night, Mindy Fox? Mm -hmm. And why we know that not only was she packing based off of these witnesses, based off of what Jeremy says, but also the crime scene photos show suitcases packed. Why would she pack and then kill herself? Yeah, it almost seems like once that couple left, well, he knew that he was in control of the situation now and he was going to try to stop her from leaving. We also have Michelle's family that says they have evidence that Jeremy was abusive saying that Michelle had confided in her family about this. A few other details that that need to be included here, uh, some information, and we'll just throw the information out there and you can interpret it in any way that you see fit there, wonderful, beautiful listener. So some of the information is that Michelle had lunch that very day, the day that she died, with her sister Chrissy and told her sister that she was scared of Jeremy and was going to be leaving him that night after the concert. Chrissy was one of the people that counseled her and told her, hey, don't go to this concert at all. Just skip it. Forget about it. Right. Michelle tells her, don't worry about it. I purchased the tickets long before I'm going to the concert. Her sister told the New York Times that Michelle told her that she was injured after Jeremy had shown her a, quote, submissive move where he slammed her down. Now, I've heard this referred to as a body slam type technique. This story seems a little complicated. We have persons that say they believe this was abuse. We have Jeremy and others that say we were just goofing around and maybe it got a little out of hand. He was showing her a move, this according to him and some others. But again, other people thought that there was something more going on than just, hey, we were goofing around. Well, it seems like everybody in her family and her friends said if you viewed this relationship as a whole, if you just simply said pass or fail or is it a positive relationship or a negative one, that most people thought it was a negative relationship. There's too much fighting. There was too much arguing. Well, and like I said earlier, Captain, sometimes these situations are abusive and sometimes they're just two people physically fighting. Mm -hmm. And we do know that Jeremy did admit that sometimes when they argued, it had gotten physical in the past. He told law enforcement that in his statements, we should also note that Jeremy is six foot one, 225 pounds at the time. And Michelle's five foot four, 119 pounds at the time. Well, here's where I disagree with you when I when you're saying that sometimes there's an abusive situation and sometimes it's a couple that fights and then they get physical. As a man, you then have to remove yourself from that situation. And if if you continue to have arguments that escalate into violent situations, as a man you should remove yourself from that relationship. And on top of that, he's a deputy. If domestic violence calls come in and they show up at his house and he gets arrested, he can lose his job. But I don't think in any stretch of the imagination that this Jeremy Banks man is any definition of a man. We have some evidence of him being a hothead, like I said yesterday, and this comes from Thanksgiving 2009, 
when Jeremy had an argument with Michelle's brother, Justin, because Justin did not feel that Jeremy was treating his sister very well. So Justin asked Jeremy to, and Jeremy let it be known that he was caring at the Thanksgiving dinner table. <laughs> this, this, this real mature. A, this guy's a piece of shit. And I would have been like, oh, you're carrying. I, I am. I'm going to castrate you. You son of a bitch. That's what I would have said. Uh, who gives a shit? Oh, I'm carrying. And here's the thing, too, is because somebody stuck up for her. I wouldn't be surprised if there was a lot of abuse. Physical, verbal, emotional, mental abuse. This guy seems like a turd basket. I think we should take a better look at the crime scene or the death scene. We know that Jeremy's service pistol was found lying on the floor on Michelle's left side. Reminder, she was right-handed. Her family pointing out that they believe this is an issue and does not jibe with the story or the findings of the sheriff's office. The retention holster that held his gun was there as well. The holster is designed, a retention holster is designed for someone unfamiliar with the weapon to have trouble drawing it from this holster, to pull the weapon out of the holster. We have a, a few different sides to this argument. One, if you don't think it's suicide, you might make the argument that Michelle may not have known how to pull the gun from the holster and therefore could not shoot herself. The other argument would be she lived with this man for over a year and he may have shown her at some point how to remove the gun from the holster. This is what is typically referred to as a level three security. When it comes to these types of holsters, there's, uh, from my understanding, Captain, there's like four different levels. And what you have here in, in this situation, again, I don't know exactly what kind of holster he was using at the time, but typically what you have in this situation is level three retention. There's four levels of retention holders. The higher the number, the more retention, the more difficult it is to get the gun out of the holster. Typically, when we're talking about law enforcement, they usually carry level three retention holsters. This to make it difficult if they are in an altercation for someone to take their weapon out of their holster. Right. Makes sense. I go back to his carelessness of just having his gun and his holster out when he claims that he said to her, you know, don't do something stupid or don't do something to harm yourself. If you actually thought that she was going to harm herself and you're not the giant, the biggest giant piece of shit in this world, you go make sure that your gun is secure. You make sure that your gun is locked away. That's correct, Captain. And here's the thing. The, the, there were two shots that were fired, and we know that based off the evidence at the scene, the 911 call, and Jeremy's statements to Detective Hines. Most people will argue in a suicide-type situation, you would not expect there to be two shots. That just the simple fact of having two shots is an indicator that something else was going on, that she was being attacked rather than deciding to take her life. I'll counter that by saying that I don't think the second shot necessarily determines anything for us outright because there are there's plenty of proof that in these types of scenarios that a suicidal individual has fired a test shot prior to turning the gun on themselves. Right. Now, you could also argue that there's an altercation taking place. There's a, a physical attack going down, and maybe that first shot was delivered by Jeremy, intended for her, and it missed its mark in this physical altercation. Again, I think that it's just too irresponsible to say that because there were two shots, it couldn't be su a suicide. I think that's just as irresponsible as the investigation or lack of investigation that they did initially in this case to begin with. So if you're faulting them for their lack of investigation, don't do the same thing yourself. Yeah. A lot of people think that they're covering for their deputy, but like we stated, there's 
members of Michelle's family that works for that county. So I think some of their protection is for their lack of investigation. I think they should have done their due diligence again. Bring in other law enforcement to double check your work. Okay, Captain. And here is something that is almost unheard of. In fact, we've reviewed hundreds of these types of cases, maybe not this exact scenario, but hundreds of true crime cases, and I've never seen this in any case that we've covered so far. There is a follow-up interview with Jeremy, and rightfully so, because I don't think that the first one was very well structured to begin with. But in this follow-up interview, Jeremy admits to Detective Hines that, quote, I've already read the report. I know I probably shouldn't have. I just wanted to know what went down on the other side, end quote. Okay, well, have we ever reviewed a case where a person who may be sitting in the suspect chair, someone who may be looked at as being involved in someone's death, had the privilege of reading the police report or the report that's been put together by the sheriff's office prior to being interviewed a second time by one of the detectives in charge? It's completely irresponsible. He should not have been privy to that information. And also, where are these tests done? Why why didn't they do a ballistic test to see if he fired a gun that day? Why not do a test on on Michelle to see if she fired a gun that day? Correct. Him reading this report, too, gives him the ability to know what lies to prepare in advance to explain away evidence that points away from suicide. And the reason why this is completely irresponsible is because he has actions that day that showed that he was trying to control the narrative, the way he was acting on the 911 call, the way he started acting when they got a pulse, and then making statements in the initial interview. Again, like you said, maybe it was too casual. I think that would be a tough situation to be in, especially when somebody's being erratic. But he's then telling in the initial interview that he was basically trying to control the narrative. Yes, this is when miscongeniality Detective Hines should stand up, end that follow-up interview, march into the sheriff's office, and say, look, boss, our investigation has been completely compromised. Jeremy's read the report, even when he knew he should not have. He just admitted that to me on tape. Right. It would be responsible, it would be the right thing for us to do, boss, to cancel our investigation and bring in an outside agency. If you didn't do it on day one, this was your opportunity. Right. And Detective Hines decided not to do that. She continued to conduct a very casual interview, follow-up interview, with her colleague, Jeremy Banks. Everybody say it with me all at once. Dropping the ball... You're dropping the ball. According to a scathing expose by the New York Times, the St. John's Sheriff's Office rushed to judgment that the case was a suicide or, more disturbingly, decided to cover up a murder. As a result, they never bothered to, one, collect or even check Jeremy's phone or Jeremy's and Michelle's computers, two, canvass the neighborhood, three, require the officers on the scene that night to file reports documenting their observations as required by St. John's Sheriff's Office protocols. Four, assemble a timeline for that night or maintain a crime scene log. Five, collect and test evidence at the scene, including a bloody t-shirt and a glove. Six, test the gun handle and trigger for Michelle's DNA. They also did not check any of the bathroom sinks or shower traps for blood evidence. They also failed to interview the family, Michelle's family, despite repeated requests by the O'Connells for an opportunity to weigh in. Well, tell me if I have this right. We have a picture of Jeremy Banks at the concert, and that shirt that he was wearing at the concert has not been found. That's absolutely correct. I mean... (laughs) 100% correct. Like... Come on, people. To put it plain and simple, the O'Connell family repeatedly 
requested an independent investigation into the death of Michelle O'Connell. And despite it being protocol, when there was an officer-involved suspicious shooting, the St. John's Sheriff's Office desperately tried to keep the investigation in-house. In fact, they even sat down with the O'Connells and explained why the FDLE had not been requested to help out. Lieutenant Charles Bradley said to the O'Connell family in a recorded interview, quote, to be honest with you, my investigators are far and above better than what FDLE is ever going to give you, end quote. This, of course, is false and self-serving. The two investigators on the case had handled just three homicides between them. The evidence keeps pouring in. At this point, the facts are undeniable. It's an open and shut case. Monopoly Go is the most fun you can have in a mobile game. Everyone is still talking about Monopoly Go for a good reason. It is an absolute hit. Millions of people pass Go every day because this game is always bringing something new to the table. Like countless crazy tournaments, you can join with your friends as partners or teams. Or timed events, offering bonuses like massive multipliers or rent frenzies to help you get huge rewards. And there's so many rewards to discover. Rare stickers you can trade with friends to complete albums. Delightful emojis to taunt people with when you raid their riches. Unique playing pieces and so much more. The verdict is in. With Monopoly Go, there's something new to discover every time you play. So don't miss out. Go download it now free on the App Store and Google Play. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. We all carry around different stressors, big and small. When we keep them bottled up, it can start to affect us negatively. Therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. If you're thinking of starting therapy, I highly recommend that you give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapist anytime for no additional charge. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com garage today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash garage. This show is proudly sponsored by BetterHelp. Check out BetterHelp.com garage today. The best part of spring cleaning takeaway is the post-clean clarity you get. It's kind of like when you find out that you've been paying a fortune for wireless. When Mint Mobile has phone plans for $15 a month when you purchase a three-month plan. It's time to switch to Mint Mobile. All plans come with high-speed data and unlimited talk and text delivered on the nation's largest 5G network. Use your own phone with any Mint Mobile plan and bring your phone number along with all of your existing contacts. Ditch overpriced wireless with Mint Mobile's limited-time deal and get three months of premium wireless service for 15 bucks a month. Save a lot of money with Mint Mobile. Get their great mobile wireless service delivered on the nation's largest 5G network. That's premium service at a great price. To get this new customer offer and your new three-month unlimited wireless plan for just 15 bucks a month, go to mintmobile.com slash TCG. That's mintmobile.com slash TCG. Cut your wireless bill to 15 bucks a month at mintmobile.com slash TCG. $45 upfront payment required, equivalent to $15 a month. New customers on first three-month plan only. Speed slower above 40 gigabytes on unlimited plan. Additional taxes, fees, and restrictions apply. See Mint Mobile for details. Everyone loves a good family mystery, especially one with as many twists and turns as June's Journey, a hidden object mystery game with a captivating detective story. It takes you back to the glamour of the 1920s, 
with a diverse cast of characters. You'll step into the role of June Parker and search for hidden clues to uncover the mystery of her sister's murder. Use your observation skills to quickly uncover key pieces of information that lead to chapters of mystery, danger, and romance. And customize your very own luxurious estate island. Think expansive gardens and beautiful buildings. Collect scraps of information to fill your photo album and learn more about each character. And you can chat and play with or against other players by joining a detective club. Can you crack the case? Download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android. June needs your help, detective. Download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android. All right, we are back. A much, a much needed beer break because this case, Colonel, just gets me steamed. Gets under your skin. I'm steamed. I just, I don't, I, I just don't get it. I don't understand why there's so many cases where it's like you, you sign up to be a cop so you can protect and serve, so you can do the right thing, live by the letter of the law, and. It just seems like so many of these individuals are are willing to compromise their integrity. Well, Deputy Menard does not fit into that group, in my opinion. In fact, she was one of the first on the scene that night. She goes on to tell 2020 that protocol, we are trained that when we arrive to every scene, the, the scene, it's a homicide scene that we have arrived at until proven otherwise. But she says in this situation, quote, immediately, it was almost like they were taking Jeremy's word that she shot herself at that point. We were told it was a suicide. So that goes against their training. It goes against this sheriff's office protocol and what they train their deputies to do when they arrive on a scene where there's been a death. Well, no, and, and so let's let's unpack that a little bit because, like you said, the protocol is to go, this is a homicide until proven otherwise. So once everybody starts assuming it's a suicide and not investigating as a homicide, anybody that sat by and watched that happen, anybody that sat by and let that happen and let them just go, well, this is a suicide and we're not going to investigate it, they're, they're just as guilty in my mind. When you, when you see the wrong thing happening and you just stand by, you're as wrong as that wrong thing happening. Like, this is what's wrong with the world. Well, I don't fault D- Deputy Maynard at all. I mean, she's telling us what she witnessed and what she believes is wrong with this investigation. No, no, I'm not blaming her. I'm just saying that all the other deputies that were there that just went along with this narrative and didn't do the work to go, Hey, st- we need to stop what you're talking about. We need to investigate this as a homicide. They're equally as wrong as what I'm saying. The other weird thing here, captain is the pills that were found in Michelle's purse and found in her jeans pockets, but none were in her system. And the facts of the matter are this, those pills in the pill bottles that they found in her purse or in her jeans pockets belonged to Jeremy. Right. They were not Michelle's pills. Her family pointed out that if she wanted to die, and I agree with this 1,000%, why wouldn't she have OD'd on these pills instead of shooting herself? Right. And we should note that per the sheriff's office investigation, none, zero, none, not one single pill or bottle had Michelle's DNA on them. This according to tests that were later conducted. That in itself is one of the most suspicious things in this investigation and that was found at the death scene. Yeah, I'd say it's number two for me as far as suspicious things. Because like you said, if there's no DNA found on the pills or the bottle, that means somebody placed these pills and these bottles in those locations. To me, the only person there at the scene is Jeremy. So why would Jeremy do this 
It it's to establish a narrative, and it's the narrative that he's been trying to establish in other points of this investigation. It goes along with the the statements that he's giving to Detective Hines in the back of her car, just an hour and a half after the body's found. Yeah, and you know, I was able to talk to a retired detective about you know showing up to a scene and and working the scene knowing that it's possibly a, a suicide. And the first thing he said is, look, statistically, women don't kill themselves by gunshot. Then this detective said to me, do you know what one of the number one things that women do on the day that they commit suicide? If it's planned, they get their hair done and do their makeup and all that stuff. Yeah, because they want to look presentable, even in death. Putting a barrel of a gun and pulling the trigger I'm not saying it's impossible because she's a woman. Unfortunately, I, it happens every day. I yeah. What this detective is telling you is absolutely true. The statistics bear that out and tell us that. But unfortunately, it does happen every day. So I don't want to circle around that right, too right. much when there's other, to me, yeah, bigger red flags, glaring red flags with, with things at the, at the scene there. Now, within a four-month period, and this is four months of increasing pressure, by the public and by the family to bring in an independent, impartial investigator or investigators. The sheriff in charge of St. John's, this is David B. Shower, he begrudgingly requested an independent review of the case in January of 2011. Within two weeks of starting on the case, Agent Rogers, who came in from the FDLE, uncovered two female neighbors who were standing outside around 11 p.m. on the night of the shooting. They're outside chatting and smoking. The women were Stacy Boswell and Heather Ladley. Rogers interviewed them separately under oath, and they both said that, quote, a man and a woman were screaming. They could hear a man and woman screaming. Ms. Boswell said in an interview with the New York Times, there was something wrong. There was nothing playful. No, nothing. It was somebody that was scared. They were arguing. We heard her yell help, and there was one gunshot, and then she yelled help again, and there was a second gunshot, Ms. Ladley told Agent Rogers. After that, they heard silence, saying that it was probably 10, maybe 15 minutes, and then the sirens came, according to Ms. Boswell. That's why they didn't call anybody. They hear this screaming, the screams for help, people were arguing, they hear gunshots, they don't call this in because they hear the sirens coming within 10 to 15 minutes. Now, I will say this, Captain. This 10 to 15-minute window, you could look at it two ways, as suspicious or it's relatively quickly after they're hearing the shots. We know that the call came in at 11.20, and Deputy Menard says that they were on the scene by 11.25. So that's all. That's five minutes of your 10 minutes, or that's five minutes of your 15 minutes, just the response time to the scene. So it doesn't sound to me like if these witnesses are right with what they say and what they say that they've heard, it doesn't seem to me like there was much of a delay in calling in 911. Now, of course, every minute counts, and it would appear that there would have been some delay. The other thing that's interesting to me here is someone yelling help. You don't yell help and then shoot yourself. Yeah, that doesn't make any sense. I you don't, don't yell help twice. You do yell help when you're being attacked. I don't know if you yell help in the situation. If he's confronting you with the gun, maybe that's the first thing that instinctively flies out of your mouth. To me, it doesn't, it, the whole help thing doesn't make sense either way, but it certainly 100% does not make sense with the suicide. Well, no, it makes sense if he's beating you. Now, Agent Rogers arranged for the Secret Service to give both of these women polygraph tests, and according to Agent Rogers, they passed these tests. Mm -hmm. Now, remember, Jeremy stuck to his story that he and Michelle had not argued. Their breakup was somewhat peaceful, I guess. He's outside. She's inside while she's packing. But here's another point of contention, because you've got these two 
eyewitnesses, and if you believe them, then Jeremy's story is not correct. Because if she did yell for help for whatever reason before she killed herself, he would have heard that. And so why wouldn't he report that to the other officers? The thing that I do not like here is the sheriff then goes out of his way to say, look, these two witnesses, they're not credible. They said they were outside smoking. Uh, they're potheads, and they can't even figure out if they were stoned that night or not. So they're not credible. Well, Jeremy's not credible either if you want to go down that rabbit hole because he's telling you, well, I had about, I don't know, five, six tall boys. So that means you had, you know, roughly 12 beers. That's that's a lot of alcohol. Here's what I say to the sheriff when he calls into question the credibility of these two possible ear witnesses. You do not get to decide, sir. You chose that night not to canvas the neighborhood and interview neighbors. You cannot then decide later when another agent comes in and finds ear witnesses. You do not get to have an opinion about these witnesses because you disregarded them from the initial steps of the investigation. As soon as your deputies put a fucking foot on that scene, you disregarded any opportunity for a witness statement. You do not get to decide. You do not get an opportunity nor an opinion in my opinion. Well, and these, these ear witnesses, they don't have a dog in the fight. So you're going to believe everything that your deputy says? This Jeremy Banks, this shitbag, he's threatened people. You know, people think that he's been violent with Michelle in the past. He's definitely, definitely a douchebag. And then on top of that, when when they get a pulse, he starts putting dents into a police car. And, and that's the person you want to protect? That's the person you want to stand up for? That, that means you're as big of a piece of shit as he is. In March of 2012... We now have a special prosecutor that's been brought in, and this is to handle the case. Because now keep in mind, basically, the, the, the very nuts and bolts of this thing is that the sheriff's office investigation concluded suicide. FDLE is brought in. It looks like they think that this is a homicide and Jeremy Banks is the suspect. That's the very simplest form to put it without going through a lot of information to get there. Right. In March of 2012, a, a special prosecutor uh, met with the O'Connell family and actually announced the closure of the case, telling them that they found insufficient evidence to prosecute Jer Jeremy Banks. The prosecutor told the family that here's why we cannot prosecute Jeremy Banks. There was GSR on Michelle's hands. Three medical examiners ruled her death a suicide and her DNA was found on the gun. So the prosecutor says the facts as they currently exist do not support the prosecution of Jeremy Banks for any homicide offense. So uh, once again, this investigation is over. There's so many red flags, but the number one for me is the ear witnesses. Michelle yelling for help. That's what they heard. It makes no sense that you would yell for help and then kill yourself. The other thing that is a giant red flag is these pills in the pill bottles. That's obviously somebody at that scene is tampering with evidence. And then on top of that, his erratic actions, his past, the negativity surrounding him and Michelle's relationship, the fact that we can't find this shirt that he was wearing that night, again, tampering with evidence, and then him trying to control the narrative and his horrible acting job, and I think his Freudian slip. Well, I'll tell you the truth. And then he gets all calm, and then he becomes clear proving that his initial demeanor on the 911 call was a fraud. I mean, how can you not investigate this more? And like you said, well, eventually they do, but the thing is, is I think maybe they missed their window. And if they would have done certain things 
and investigate it like a homicide and let the evidence take you where it needs to take you, maybe that's the reason why they're not able to prosecute this individual. They're also not able to prosecute because they did not do a thorough investigation, right? As soon as they set foot at that scene, we have it being worked like a suicide. This is per one of the deputies on the scene. And from my understanding, the deputy that arrived second at the scene is stating this much. And we know that from the sheriff's own words, he admitted that the sheriff's office failed to canvass the neighborhood for witnesses, failed to interview family members of Michelle's, which you would in suicide situations or homicide situations to figure out state of mind of all the individuals involved, so on and so forth, failed to isolate Jeremy Banks, failed to interview Jeremy Banks, failed to photograph Jeremy Banks in a structured environment after the shooting occurred. So you go, well, there's insufficient evidence to prosecute. Well, maybe that's because when you showed up to the scene that night, you weren't looking for evidence right. to prosecute. That's why you don't have it after the fact. It, now, you talked about the ear witnesses not having a dog in the fight, and that's why we like them. That's why we lean on the side and give them credibility. They passed polygraph tests administered by the Secret Service. That should add to the credibility as well. Here's somebody that maybe has too many dogs in the fight. And I really did not see this coming based on how the early stages of this investigation and story go. But Scott O'Connell, Michelle's brother, who works for the sheriff's office, may have too many dogs in the fight. It's his sister who is now deceased. It's his department that he works for declaring it a suicide he has sided with the sheriff and with the sheriff's office and so he is the only person the lone wolf of the o'connell family that stands with the sheriff's office and from my understanding there there is no speaking to scott o'connell that the remainder of the O'Connell family does not speak with Scott O'Connell. Yeah, like you said, he has maybe too many dogs in the fight, but maybe that's self-preservation. Maybe he knows that if he doesn't stay in line with his his department, that they'll figure out a reason to get rid of him. I don't know why somebody would put their job above their family, but... um. It's possible. I think that he must believe that the sheriff's office is correct. There is a Dr. Phil episode where you can see the family squabbling uh, back and forth in front of millions of viewers where he is stating our sister killed herself and my family just refuses to believe it. The The other weird thing here, too, and I've <laughs> we've seen this once or twice, but it's still very uncommon. This, this goes down to November of 2013. This is when Jeremy Banks sued the FDLE and Agent Rogers, claiming that they violated his civil rights by wrongly accusing him when the case had been ruled a suicide. Now, keep in mind, it was his sheriff's office, begrudgingly as it may be, that asked for the FDLE to come in and do a review of the case. Right. So when you ask for an independent agency to come in and do a review of a case, it doesn't necessarily mean that they care a whole lot of what the determination was prior to them being brought in. So I don't know that this technically violates his civil rights, according to as he stated it in the lawsuit, wrongly accusing him after it had been ruled a suicide. What we do know, too, is that Rogers did detain Jeremy Banks for a very brief period of time. He had put into place that they would search Jeremy Banks's home while he was being questioned at the station by Agent Rogers. The interview ended 
a lot earlier than the agent had anticipated this because Jeremy requests an attorney. So there's going to be no more questions at this time. He should be free to go. However, the agent not wanting Jeremy Banks to be on scene and potentially manipulate evidence detained him from going home at that time. Now, the short of it, without a whole lot of back and forth, this didn't didn't go down overnight, but a judge did dismiss this lawsuit that his civil rights were not, in fact, uh, violated by the FDLE or Agent Rogers. Jeremy Banks should be pissed off, too, because if he is not a murderer and he is just a victim of Michelle taking her own life, he then becomes a victim of them not doing their due diligence and not doing a thorough investigation from the beginning. And if I was being questioned by anybody, I would be pushing for that. You need to do a thorough investigation. You need to make sure that you cross your T's and dot your I's because if the family starts questioning this, if the community starts questioning this, we have answers for all those questions. Because I want to leave no doubt that I wasn't involved in the death of Michelle. One thing that we've not hit on yet here, Captain, is something that was brought up by the state attorney's office, citing examples of issues with potential evidence in this case. And there were several, but among other things was a black glove that was photographed at the scene of this air quotes investigation that was not taken into evidence. And the state attorney's office is on record as saying, quote, and because that item was not collected, we were not able to determine the evidentiary value of that, end quote. What would have been found, what could have been found on this black glove had it been collected? You have to wonder, could it have been a whole lot of gunpowder residue, a whole lot of GSR on this glove? That's certainly a possibility. But what is not a possibility is Michelle O'Connell putting on the glove, shooting herself, removing the glove, and placing it outside of the house where it is later photographed. That's not a possibility. The other problem that I have with this is Michelle's jaw was fractured in two locations. And there's two camps. One is saying, well, this could have been caused by the gunfire and others saying that that doesn't necessarily always happen. So, again, you have people that hear an argument getting out of hand. You hear a woman yelling for help. They said she sounded scared. Well, is it possible that he was beating on her as that took place? Is it possible that he fractured her jaw before he put the gun in her mouth? Again, not a doctor. I've said it a few times just in case people get confused. I've said it many times throughout the years. I'm not a doctor here, but I can rely on what I've heard in the statements given by the doctors who have personally examined the decedent. And what we have here is a little bit of pushback, right? Where if she was in the middle of a physical altercation with Jeremy Banks and then he shoots her, the pushback is, well, wouldn't there be some bruising on Michelle? And the medical examiner, who we've not gotten to this yet, did a follow-up autopsy after Michelle's body was exhumed in January of 2016. His response to that question, well, shouldn't there be some bruising on Michelle if that, in fact, was the case? His response was that the amount of bruising can depend on on how quickly the person is killed after those blows or injuries are administered. Meaning that if, if that was the case and she dies relatively quickly after some hits, then we may not see the bruising here. Yeah. I want to give the body a chance to create the, bru the bruising and his answer to the, jaw being fractured and it was a pretty obvious fracture which was weird that it was missed the first time around but his answer to that is this 
we do not, he does not believe that it was done or occurred because of the gunshot because there was no damage to soft tissue areas that would, he would expect to see if it was done per the gunshot. And what's interesting to me here is the amount of force that it would take to break the jaw. The jaw is one of the most, one of the strongest bones in your body. Right. So the amount of force that it would take to break that jaw, what do they say in boxing? You and I love love to watch a little boxing. They say chin music, right? Give them a little chin music, knock them out. Mm-hmm. Hit them right, bust them right in that jaw with an uppercut, knock them out. This medical examiner says that there's a good chance that she took a hit maybe with the butt of a gun and that the force of that blow, the breaking of that jaw may have knocked her unconscious and then she was shot through the roof of her mouth. Go back to what the sheriff's office said earlier. The detective said it would be very difficult for a person in an altercation to allow a gun to get into their mouth. You could easily close your mouth. You could easily turn your head from side to side. You could duck. You could bob. You could weave. There's a million things you could do to get the nose of that gun out of your mouth. And they're saying it had to be. This is one of the determining factors for us, amongst others, that it had to be suicide because we would not expect to see a gun in the mouth of a shooting victim. Well, guess what? If this medical examiner is right after the exhumation and says, she may have been unconscious when that shot occurred. That changes that whole perspective right then and there. Yeah, it's just sad, you know, because if it's suicide, then they didn't do right by their own officer to do a, a correct and thorough investigation. But it's just, it's but it's just a it's a sad and frustrating case overall. Dr. William Anderson, who did the second autopsy pro bono, so he's not being paid for his opinion. He's giving his expert opinion after conducting a second autopsy. Dr. William Anderson says, in my opinion, it was a homicide. Quote, there was a gunshot wound to the mouth that put a hole in the tongue but didn't do any other damage to the teeth, to the gums, to the floor of the mouth, the very soft tissue that basically would have been destroyed if there had been enough force from that blast to break the jaw, end quote. Anderson goes on to say that the mandible is a very strong bone, one of the strongest in the body. For it to break and no other damage to the mouth to be caused indicates it was not caused by the gunshot. And this fracture was fresh, not old. Furthermore, he noted that Michelle's tongue was retracted and blocking her airway as it could have been if the gun was forced into her mouth. But it would not have been if she put the gun in her mouth herself. Quote, the findings are most consistent of blunt force trauma causing incapacitation of Ms. O'Connell and subsequent gunshot wound inflicted by another. Again, his opinion, it was a homicide. Yeah, you have the fractured jaw. You have the pills with no DNA from Michelle on them. You have the ear witnesses. You have his erratic behavior. You have their past relationships. You can't find this shirt. One of the deputies thinks that he cleaned himself up. I mean, there's just so much pointing towards that he's guilty of this crime but even if he's not guilty then you need to do your due diligence to figure out if it's a homicide or a suicide so where does the case stand today i think that we can sum up where it stands today and i'm going to refer to a letter that was written by the mother by patty o'connell this letter was written to the saint augustine record and it says My daughter, Michelle O'Connell, was found shot dead September 2, 2010, in her deputy boyfriend's home. He told his co-workers she did this. Deputy Jeremy Banks' co-workers failed to investigate. They only took his side. No investigation was possible for Michelle. The public needs to know 
that no one in the St. John's County Sheriff's Department or State Attorney's Office ever asked our family what happened. Why? No one from the St. Augustine record has ever interviewed us, even after the New York Times and the PBS Frontline Stories in November of 2013. Why? Sheriff Schauer admitted to major mistakes, but claimed to the record in a story December 12, 2013, that he, quote, got it right. How? The sheriff investigated his deputy, a conflict of interest. Quote, no man can serve two masters, end quote. The FDLE should have been called in immediately. Our family told the sheriff's office that Michelle told us and her friends that she was a victim of domestic violence. The sheriff did not investigate. The sheriff and the prosecutors rushed to conclude it was a suicide without evidence. The sheriff's national accreditation must be reviewed by the Council on Law Enforcement Accreditation this week and be suspended, revoked, or placed on probation. Jeremy Banks was allowed to read the investigation before his formal interview and treated like a brother, not a suspect. Why? Two respected crime scene experts determined it was a homicide, and three determined it was not suicide, but no charges were filed. Why? Deputies did not canvass the neighborhood. Why? The cut and bruise on Michelle's eyelid was the result of violence. Yet, we were told that a gun discharged forward, not backward. That Michelle used her non-dominant left hand to grasp the gun upside down, with no hand injury. And that the shell casings ejected on the wrong side. All physical impossibilities. Why? Two witnesses heard an argument, a scream and a shot, another scream and a second shot. The sheriff knowingly lied to the Justice Department about them, and the deputy claimed there were no raised voices. One medical examiner changed his mind. Another barely looked at the file. Lieutenant Bradley callously said, my Michelle busted every tooth in her head. He wouldn't let me see any photos. I held firm. This made him angry. He showed me some photos, but not all. Why? After claiming it was a suicide, the sheriff would not look me in the eye and would not look Michelle's daughter, Alexis, in the eye either. Why? The sheriff bragged about paying for Michelle's funeral. Why? The only person currently under investigation was Agent Rusty Rogers, who suspected Sheriff's Deputy Jeremy Banks in Michelle's death. Why? There must be an FBI and federal grand jury investigation of Michelle's death and possible civil rights violations, cover-ups, collusion, and other crimes by law enforcement. I am grateful for the public support for this. Our family is thinking about a Michelle O'Connell house, a safe place for victims of the national epidemic of officer-involved domestic violence. Yeah, that's a very powerful letter by Michelle's mother. And that is where that investigation, that story sits today. The O'Connells still needing help right. and still seeking justice for their daughter, Michelle. But then in January of 2019, a teenage boy came home to find his father shot dead. This is a homicide that many have suspected could be directly connected to the death of Michelle O'Connell. But we'll have to dive into that next week. Thank you guys so much for joining us here in this True Crime Garage Flying Garage Ship. If you're looking for our bonus episodes or the first 50 episodes, those are available at True Crime Garage in our store. So check those out. Colonel, do we have any recommended reading for the beautiful listeners? This week, Captain, we are recommending The Angel Maker, Arsenic, A Midwife, and Modern History's Most Astonishing Murder Ring by Patty McCracken. 
This just came out yesterday, and this is a great read. You're going to want to check this one out. You can find that recommendation along with many, many more on our recommended page on our website, truecrimegarage.com. And until next week, be good, be kind, and don't listen.